Please listen carefully. Psych Essentials is a show about learning psychiatry. It's fun and educational, but should not be taken as medical advice or opinion. So kick back and try not to worry about those glaring ego deficits. We like you anyway. Hey, Lindsay. Hey, James. What's going on? You know, I'm feeling pretty depressed. Oh, no. What's going on? You know, I just feel like I'm terrible at coming up with these witty intro bits to our podcast, and it's making me really sad. Well, have I got the antidepressant for you. We have got an episode chock full of talk about antidepressants today. In fact, I would say there's pills by the dozen ready for you. Yes. So excited. Lindsay, get us started. What are antidepressants? Well, so as as the namesake might imply, they are medications that are used to treat depression. Um, they are very widely prescribed and used in many different medical specialties, not just in psychiatry, but in primary care settings. And contrary to their namesake, they don't just treat depression. That's one of the bigger misconceptions about them. What other things are they used for, James? Antidepressants are used to treat anxiety disorders, such as generalized anxiety disorder, panic disorders, also obsessive compulsive disorder, post-traumatic stress disorder, PTSD, and disordered eating like bulimia. So a fair number of different indications beyond just depression. So today for this episode, we're not going to dig deeply into why or how these drugs work. There's a lot of theories in the literature, but we're going to focus on more clinically relevant, concrete, practical matters. And really the truth is that we don't 100% know why these drugs work. I would say generally they affect some of our neurochemical pathways in your brain. Yeah. And that's usually where I'll, I'll leave it off, <laughs> off the bat when people ask. Yep. So we'll just briefly go over the classes of antidepressants. First, we have SSRIs, which stands for Selective Serotonin Reuptake Inhibitors. The next class is SNRIs, which stands for Serotonin and Norepinephrine Reuptake Inhibitors. Then we have TCAs, which are tricyclic antidepressants. MAOIs, which stands for monoamine oxidase inhibitors. So the last class is the atypical class of antidepressants, which includes bupropion, which is a norepinephrine dopamine reuptake inhibitor, and mirtazapine, which works on similar receptors. So that's a bunch. Let's narrow this down and focus on some of the most important ones. So for this episode, we'll focus on SSRIs, SNRIs, and the atypicals. And usually these three classes are considered our first line from perspective of safety and tolerability, and we'll leave MAOIs and TCAs for another episode. Stay tuned for the advanced psychopharmacology series. So let's quickly review the drugs within each class. We'll give both the trade name and the generic name because we use them interchangeably. But after this, we'll just use the generic name the rest of the episode. I just wanted to say this is a good time if you're sitting at home to take out a pencil and a piece of paper. You might jot down this list because then we're going to go back and talk about them each in a little bit of detail. If you're listening to this while you're at the gym and running on a treadmill, do not stop and take out a pencil. Keep running, but take out your mental chalkboard. All right. So, James, why don't you start us off by running through the SSRIs? The SSRIs include citalopram, Celexa, 
escitalopram, Lexapro, fluoxetine, Prozac, paroxetine, Paxil, and sertraline, which is Zoloft. Phew, so that's a bunch. Now, many antidepressants have pretty similar side effects, so rather than listing them all for each drug individually, let's talk about some of the main side effects for this category of medications. Yeah, some common side effects in the SSRI, SNRI category include GI side effects. So sometimes when you're first starting an antidepressant, people will experience nausea, vomiting even, diarrhea, stomach upset, that kind of a thing. It's pretty common, but tends to go away um, with time. Someone might say it's not uncommon after the first day even. I had a woman say the next day after we started one, uh, you know, my stomach's like feeling kind of rumbly and I'm not feeling so great right now but it did get better even just a few days i mean i think even two days later yeah so they they usually resolve the next general class of side effects is activating symptoms and these include symptoms like insomnia headaches or even agitation leading into mania it's relatively rare that an antidepressant will cause mania but it's always a possibility so next we have we can sometimes see fatigue patients will complain that they just feel tired um, in contrast to the more activating side effects that i just talked about another big important category of symptoms to discuss with patients is sexual side effects so these include things like decreased libido delayed orgasm or absent orgasm um, these, these side effects can be somewhat uncomfortable to talk over with patients, but they're really important and they can affect a patient's quality of life. And so I think it's important to let them know about the potential for that. A few other important side effects to be aware of is the possibility for increased suicidal ideation in the adolescent population, as well as hyponatremia or low sodium in the elderly population. When we talk about them, Individually, we'll talk more and highlight some of the particularly relevant side effects for each of the medications in general. So let's say you had a patient with depression, you've done your SIGICAPS evaluation, and you think it's time to start an antidepressant. How on earth do you choose amongst all of these? Are, are some of them better than anyone else? So as a general rule, no single antidepressant is better than the others. Some patients will respond to one and not another, and there's really unfortunately no rhyme or reason to it that we're aware of. So it can be a bit of trial and error to see what works for the patient. To start, it can be helpful to think about the side effect profile of the particular antidepressant or antidepressant class, the patient's personal history of response to antidepressant medications or family history of responding well to certain um, psychiatric medications, and then also looking at key clinical features of the patient, such as their past medical history and then other medications that they're on that could have interactions with the antidepressant that you're thinking of starting. So with that said, let's talk about the SSRIs first, because I think they're most often the go-to medication. They're first-line indicated meds for depression. Let's walk through some of these one by one and talk about what differentiates one of these from any of the others. I will say at the end, we're going to do a little recap with a, a sort of mini test your knowledge. You want to be paying attention for some of the key distinguishing factors. You might also take notes if you had written down this list earlier. 
All right, so let's get started. So we'll start off with citalopram. This is a really well-tolerated SSRI with few drug interactions. It's really good for anxious people if you have a depression that has a lot of anxious features attached to it. The one thing to be aware of is that at higher doses, you can see a QTC prolongation. So that's something to be aware of. If you have a patient whose QTC is around 500 milliseconds, you probably don't want to start them on citalopram. How would you check that? Get an EKG. Take a look at it. Nice. Yeah. So then the next one is escitalopram, which is in fact an, an antimer of citalopram. Mm. Um, it's very similar to citalopram, but it's better. It's possibly the best tolerated SSRI. Very few drug interactions. There's no issue with the QTC. Um, and it's really good for anxious people, similar to citalopram. You might think, this is my silly mnemonic, you might think about citalopram as affecting the QTC and escitalopram as erasing that interaction. It also just sounds like citalopram, which is how you can remember that it's the active enantiomer. It used to be a fancy brand name, and I think it's now generic and, and more widely available. I like it. All right, we'll move on to fluoxetine. This is a more activating medication, which can be helpful if the patient is complaining of feeling really tired all the time, really low energy, so it can kind of give them a little bit of a boost. One important thing about fluoxetine is that it has a really long half-life, much longer than any of the other antidepressants, about four to six days on average. So this is one medication that actually can be helpful and useful if you think the patient won't be compliant because the, the drug will be around in their system for a long time. The good thing about the drug having such a long half-life is that there's really minimal risk for antidepressant withdrawal syndrome, which is kind of like a flu-like syndrome that can happen with agents that have a shorter half-life, but Prozac, really minimal risk. The one problem with Prozac is that it does have a lot of drug-drug interactions. So if you have a person on a ton of different medications, you might just want to check with your friendly pharmacist about drug-drug interactions or consider a different agent. Fluoxetine lasts forever. It starts with an F. I love it. Next is paroxetine. This is a medication that, unlike fluoxetine, has a really short half-life, and it, for that reason, you can have a pretty prominent withdrawal syndrome. It can be really hard to taper patients off of. Patients also complain that it can be really sedating medication because it has prominent anticholinergic side effects. And uh, along with the sedation, you'll see all the other things that go along with anticholinergic side effects. So constipation, dry mouth, that sort of thing. It's a bad choice in pregnancy because there's increased risk of persistent pulmonary hypertension of the newborn. And generally, I would avoid this medication unless the patient has had a really great response to it in the past. There's just a lot of downsides to paroxetine, in my humble opinion. Paroxetine will wish you had stronger parotid glands because you will not be salivating. You're on fire with these mnemonics. Thank you. All right. And then the last one in the SSRI class that we'll talk about is sertraline. And this is a really great antidepressant. It's very well studied. It is, in fact, the most studied and best tolerated for patients with heart disease. So if you have someone with really bad coronary artery disease, arrhythmias, CHF, that sort of thing, I would definitely think about starting them on sertraline. It's also the safest for pregnant women and breastfeeding women. It has few drug-drug interactions, 
can also be mildly activating. So patients who have uh, more of a low energy, depressive profile would probably benefit from sertraline. Sertraline is a pretty sure choice all around. Yeah, exactly. So why don't we run through some examples? This is kind of inside the vegetarian sausage factory, but we did record this and it was so bad that we had to re-record this. So this is round two. The audio probably sounds different. Example number one. I am a 65-year-old man with a history of congestive heart failure, and I'm presenting to the hospital with an exacerbation of my CHF and depression. What is the go-to? My go-to would be sertraline. Why is that? I would choose sertraline because it has the most evidence um, for use with people who have comorbid heart conditions. Great. Example two. I'm a 45-year-old man with a history of, mm, sometimes I take my medications and sometimes I don't. I'm transiently homeless and I come into clinic and I have depression. I'm not taking any other medications. What would you think of? I would think of fluoxetine. Why is that? It's a really long half-life, so it's okay if you miss a few days. Sounds good. All right, example number three. This time, I'm a 30-year-old woman, and I recently gave birth, and I'm presenting to my OBGYN for a postpartum check, and it's pretty clear that I have postpartum depression. What would you recommend? I would go with sertraline again. Why is that? It has the most evidence for safety with breastfeeding. So we've gone through a number of the SSRIs. Our next general class is we're going to go over more specifically certain SNRIs than atypicals. Let's start with venlafaxine. It's a helpful antidepressant for people with anxiety, more anxious depression. But the one thing to keep in mind is that it can cause worsened hypertension, especially in people with pre-existing hypertension. And generally, I would avoid it if patients have pre-existing hypertension. We keep a close eye on blood pressure. At high doses, venlafaxine can be helpful for neuropathic pain. The one problem with venlafaxine is that it also has a notable withdrawal syndrome. And the one symptom that I've heard patients complain of is having brain zaps, like electric zaps in their brain. It's kind of weird, but I've, I've heard that it's uncomfortable. I bet. All right. So next is duloxetine. And this is also another SNRI. So somewhat similar to venlafaxine in that you want to watch out, monitor the blood pressure. It's good with neuropathic pain. It's FDA approved for diabetic neuropathy. So if you have someone with depression plus neuropathic pain, it's definitely would be your go-to. You can think about these because venlafaxine faxes are old, but these drugs are new. And just like they are, that is the opposite. They will also raise your blood pressure when usually you don't want to raise your blood pressure. Works. <laughs> I'm not getting a lot of enthusiasm out of that one. These ones are trickier for mnemonics. Okay, well, we'll see if I can do better on the atypicals. All right. So we'll move on next to bupropion. This antidepressant is notable because it doesn't have sexual side effects as compared to the SSRIs and SNRIs. The one thing, notable thing about this is that it can be pretty stimulating. So 
for people with really bad anxiety, it can make them a lot more anxious. So that's one thing to look out for. And it's contraindicated in patients with seizure disorder, TBI, and eating disorders because it lowers the seizure threshold. So always ask about those things before you start someone on bupropion. Bupropion will keep you bouncing. And by that, I mean anxious in bouncing in a quasi-sexual way. And it will also keep you moving, which is a caution about seizure disorders. Bouncing. Okay, I like it. All right, next is mirtazapine. This one also has pretty minimal sexual side effects. The one thing to note about this one is that it's pretty sedating at lower doses. So if you have someone who's like, I just can't get to sleep, mirtazapine's something that you could think about starting. It's also appetite stimulating. So again, someone who can't sleep isn't eating very much. This is a good one to think about. One notable thing about this is that there is some risk of neutropenia. So if you have a patient who's immunosuppressed for any reason, I would avoid mirtazapine. Mirtazapine, you might think of tazzy, which is like tabby, which is like a cat. And cats do like to nap and eat. It's a bit of a stretch, but I like it. A cat reference. Thank you. Okay. So let's go through a few examples. Back to the examples. This time, I am a 70-year-old woman, and I have not just depression, but also insomnia, and I've been really having trouble maintaining my weight. My appetite is pretty down these days. What would be a good choice? Mirtazapine would be my choice. Why is that? Well, hopefully it's sedating, and it helps to promote appetite, so it'll help you with your insomnia, and also hopefully with weight gain. All right. Example number two. This time I'm a 25-year-old guy. I come into clinic and I'm pretty embarrassed, but the one thing I read about and I really don't want is any of these sexual side effects. What do you recommend? I recommend bupropion. Why is that? It has the least likelihood of sexual side effects. All right, and let's take it home. Example number three. This time, I'm a 35-year-old woman. I have a variety of medical conditions, but one of them is uncontrolled diabetes, and I have significant diabetic neuropathy and chronic pain and depression. What would you recommend? For all of those things, I would recommend duloxetine. Why is that? actually has an FDA indication for diabetic neuropathy and is very helpful for chronic pain with comorbid depression. All right, so we've talked about a whole bunch of things, but I'm hoping you can you can send us away with some salient picks. All right, so generally, I would recommend picking amongst the SSRIs. If you have a patient with depression as a first-line go-to agent, unless there's good reasons for other agents, for example, like chronic pain, I would think more of like an SNRI. But generally, I'd try to pick amongst the SSRIs. And my personal favorites, this is a personal opinion, for tolerability and drug-drug interactions would be citalopram, escitalopram, and sertraline. Those are those are my faves. And I would recommend just not using paroxetine unless the patient is begging you to do so and they've had an excellent response to it in the past. Citalopram, escitalopram, sertraline. Great and choices. And no paroxetine. There are all sorts of other things we can talk about, about second-line agents, if you need to augment with a second medication, if you want to combine two different ones, if you're looking at treatment-resistant depression. Keep that in mind for a future 
advanced psycho farm podcast coming your way. Meanwhile, we're in the middle of a psycho farm 101 tutorial. Stay tuned next time and we will talk about antipsychotic agents. Get excited. In the meanwhile, I hope you'll check out our website. That was such a great opportunity to say get psyched. Get psyched with Psych Essentials. For antipsychotics. Just make sure we had that clear. In the meanwhile, check out our website, uh, which is www.psychessentials.org. Psychessentials.org. Leave us a review. Tell us what you'd like to hear more about in the future in our comment box. You can also follow us on Twitter. We're at Psych Essentials. Check us out on iTunes, where you can subscribe and make sure you get the latest episode hot in your inbox. You can rate, comment, share Psych Essentials with other folks you know and think might like it. And you should do all of the above. Our music is by Javier Suarez off his album Tumbling Dishes. There's always a link on our website. As usual, people, places, details we talk about have always been changed to protect confidentiality. Thank you so much for listening, and I'll see you next time. Till next time. Bye. Bye.